Amen. Come on, can we put our hands together and give God a cheer this morning? Everybody in the house, let's, come on, let's worship the Lord. Amen. Come on, how many serve the God of the impossible? Amen. The God of miracles. Amen. Today. Hallelujah. Amen. If you need a miracle, if you are facing an impossible situation, amen, I want you just to know that He is a God of the impossible. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Come on, if you have a need this morning, amen, look to Jesus. Jesus is the one that can meet your need today. Amen. Aren't you glad that He's the God that opens the Red Sea? He's the God that provides manna from heaven. That's what He did. Amen. He's the God that opens blind eyes and opens deaf ears. Amen. He is the God of miracles. Amen. And if you need a miracle today, just say, God, I need you because you're the God of miracles. Amen. Hallelujah. Look at somebody and say, man, I need a miracle today. And if you don't need a miracle, I know somebody else needs it. Amen. You may be seated today. Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14. Uh, we want to read the scripture. We'll pray. But in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, it says this. It says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a shame and a disgrace to any people. King James says a reproach to any people. And I believe today, in this hour, we've got to stay focused on the kingdom of God. We've got to stay focused on the mission of Jesus. How many believe God that it's God's will, I mean to believe that it's God's will, amen, to have a righteous people in the earth? Let me see your hand, amen. How many believe that? How many believe that you are part of that righteous people in the earth? I do. I believe I'm part of that remnant. And I believe that it's time for us to be the church and be the righteous people God has called us to. Lord, we just thank you today for your word. And we pray today for our nation. We can't pray enough for our nation, Lord. It just seems like we just can't pray enough, Lord. And so we pray today for our nation that righteousness will exalt our nation, that righteousness will prevail in our nation. And I pray that righteousness will reign in our hearts as the church. Lord, I pray, amen, as we share today, I pray there'll be something that you minister, not because of me, but in spite of me, Lord, to, to your people who are listening online, here at the church, wherever, and whoever they're listening with, Lord, I pray that you would encourage us in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. We've got to stay focused on the kingdom. We've got to stay focused on the mission of Jesus today. And I've been hearing from all kinds of different uh, sources and uh, what you would consider bad, good, you know, good, bad, whoever. All kind of sources are saying that this is one of the most important elections of our day. Amen. And I'm hearing that. And this is a critical election. And we know that. Now, I'm not uh, talking politics today. I'm talking righteousness today. Righteousness exalts a nation, the Bible says. And I want to stay focused on this chapter right here today. You know, and I also want to just um, say this, a few things about righteousness before I give you a few things about righteousness. And that is, the Bible says, righteousness exalts a nation. How many know it's not a political person, it's not a political candidate who exalts a nation? It's righteousness that exalts a nation. Come on. Righteousness should never exalt a nation in pride, only in godliness. Amen. And so righteousness exalts a nation. If, and that word there, exalt, doesn't mean that high, heady, 
uh, prideful uh, exaltation. It simply means it lifts it up to the place of godliness. Righteousness exalts a nation, the Bible says. And so I want to focus on that. Now, how does a nation become righteous? How does uh, uh, really um, uh, righteousness itself affect a nation? How does righteousness affect our nation? How, how does our nation, uh, we can say the Amer- uh, America or the United States, how can we become righteous? Here's the answer, through God's people. Through God, well, it's some mysterious thing. God's just going to take over and he's going to make us a Christian nation righteous. No, no, that's not what the Bible makes clear. It's people. God always works through people. Can you say amen? That's why you're here. God works through us. God works through our people. And so righteousness doesn't exalt a nation in pride. It doesn't really look to a candidate or a person or even one prophet or pastor. It looks through God's people collectively. And so that's why it's important that we, as God's people, really get on the same page as God in these days. That we come together in the same mind, and as Paul talked about, in the same spirit, in the same heart, in this day. Come on, how many know that we shouldn't be fighting against each other as a church? We need to be working together as a church. We've got to live together so that righteousness can prevail. Righteousness is really a spiritual condition. It is a moral position, yes it is, and it is a physical act. Did you know that? So, Really, we see in the Bible, and this the Bible teaches this all through Scripture, is that righteousness is a spiritual condition, a moral position, and a physical act. And so let me just share with you a few things that righteousness is. Number one, righteousness is from God. Righteousness is from God. Romans chapter 14, verse 17 says that the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but it's what? Righteousness, peace, and joy through the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so the kingdom of God is righteousness. Righteousness is from God. The Bible says that our righteousness is is not worth anything. It's actually disgusting to God. Uh, Isaiah paints that picture of our righteousness. It's, It's garbage. It's no good. Amen? Jesus knew this and he said, Without me you can do nothing because your righteousness stinks. You need my righteousness. Is that right? So righteousness is from God. And so righteousness allows us to be in right standing with God because of what Jesus did at the cross. Righteousness is about, amen, Jesus Christ. It's not about how I feel, uh, what, should, what is right, how I see things. It's about Jesus Christ and His righteousness. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5.21 talks about what the Lord has done through Jesus that the Bible says, For our sake... God made Jesus to be sin. Who knew no sin? What? That we could become the what? Righteousness of God. How many believe with all your heart that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? Amen. Right. 40% of the people. That's awesome. Good thing we're not voting today. Anyways, so righteousness is from God. The second thing that's very important about righteousness. Righteousness starts in the heart. It starts in the heart. How many know it goes beyond good behavior? It's a heart condition. It's it's a right heart. The Bible says that God tries the heart of men. God sees the heart of men. How many know the Bible says we look on the outside, but God looks on the inside. Right? And so God trains, uh, uh, reigns through that heart. He, the Bible says that he tries the reins. That's what I'm trying to say. He tries the reins. Say that really fast. 
Yeah, he tries the reins. And so as Jeremiah said it and Isaiah said that God, what? He deals with men's hearts. You know, when you got saved, he didn't deal with your religion. He didn't deal with your status. He dealt with your heart. So when God came and he said, I love you and you're in sin and you need me, guess what? Your heart, as the Bible says it, you were pricked in your heart or you were convicted in your heart. God deals with your heart. How many know, as Jeremiah said, that the heart of man is deceitful, desperately wicked. No one knows it but the Lord. How many know you can say a lot with your mouth and your heart can be far from God? Is that right? So God looks at the heart. So righteousness has to start in our heart. Right now, think about it. All the crime that's up, the suicide rate, all these things that are happening, the depression and alcoholism, all these things have increased dramatically in the last six months. And you know what we have to say? It's not because of a political party. It's not because of a, of a, a virus. It's because of men's hearts. Come on, amen? Why is there so much hate in the world? Because of men's hearts. And in order to know the cure, you've got to know what is the root. And the root is the heart of man. Is that right? Amen. I don't know if you knew this or not, and this might be a revelation, but we are not born good people. We are not born good people. Despite what everybody wants to say, or the philosophy of the world, not everybody is born with... with well, no, nobody is born, according to the Bible... In righteousness. We're born in sin. So really it's a matter of are you a good sinner or a bad sinner, I guess. Right? But the Bible says that really no one is good. No one is right because that's the root. And how many know the Bible always deals with the root, not the symptoms? Amen. Always. And so that's the root. And so I, I see this happening and as we talk about this and this and this today, I have to look and whether I'm watching the news or whatever it is, I have to say, God, our hearts need to change. In order for our nation to change, our heart has to change. Righteousness starts in our hearts. Amen. And so I believe that the gospel or the word of God, the power of God, changes men's hearts, not political bureaucracy. It has to happen through God. God has to do it. Amen. As we said a couple weeks ago, righteousness is not determined in the courts of law, but in the hearts of men. You can't legislate good behavior. You can't legislate righteous thoughts. You can't legislate those things. That has to happen in the hearts of men. Amen. And think about all the corruption that's in the world. Think about all the things and even that Jesus taught us about what is in the, the underlying factor, the things that are ha happening in the world. What is it? I mean, we could say that it's money, that it's power. It's a revolt against the living God. Why? Because men's hearts aren't right. Is that right? Amen. Yes, it is. Hallelujah. I might be bursting somebody's bubble today, but, and you might think you're a good person, but without Jesus, nobody's good. Nobody's good. But aren't you glad that when you walk with the Lord and you're filled with His Word and His Spirit, something happens to your life? How many have been changed because you were saved? How many have been impacted because of the Word of God? I have. Amen. Any gospel that doesn't alter your lifestyle is not the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus alters your lifestyle. It alters your thinking. You're thinking darkness, but when you get saved, you're thinking light. 
all of a sudden you're not thinking about death, you're thinking about life. Is that right? And righteousness is not about a religious standpoint or viewpoint. It's about a heart condition because you've been radically changed by God himself. It starts in your heart. And so people that say they're a Christian and yet hate their brother, the Bible says, how can they say they know God? Wow. So think about it. And you know what's amazing about us? We make room for our sin. Yes, we do. How many know we make excuses for our sin? We make justification for our sin, human nature. Guess what? We even make laws for our sin. I mean, we polish it up. We, we you, you know, scientific terms and medical terms and whatever. Come on, because we want to sin. Is that right? That's right. Why? Because it's in our heart. So righteousness has to start in our heart. So if you're praying for somebody to be saved and know the Lord, you've got to say, God, work on their heart. I can, I can tell, the, tell them the gospel to I'm blue in the face. I can drag them to church all I want to, but that's not going to change their life. Amen. That's right. Some of you are testimony to that. Amen. And see, today we're, we're standing for life. We're not standing uh, uh, for a political party today on the Golden Strip. Anybody? Hello? No, 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 no. We're, we're standing for righteousness today. That's what we're going to be praying about from 2.30 to 3.30 is righteousness in our nation because righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to anybody. Amen. And so I believe even the root cause, and if you study it and look and, and even think about it, the root cause of things like abortion and things like that, what we're talking about today and standing about is an unholy lifestyle. These are the root causes. It's an unholy lifestyle. It's a rebellion towards God. It's violence and murder. These are some of the root causes. If you go back to 1969, it wasn't because simply because of the rights of a woman or the rights of human life. It was all about an unholy lifestyle. We've got to make rules about how I want to live. All right. I'm off my soapbox now. But let me just ask you this. If this culture, which calls themselves a cancel culture, why aren't we canceling sin? Why aren't we canceling pornography? Because we pet what we sin about. Come on. We want to keep it. Why aren't we, why aren't we talking about and canceling some of the media that's out there? Movies that promote murder and death and uh, adultery. Why aren't we doing that? If we're such a cancel culture, don't call yourself a cancel culture if you're going into a restaurant overturning some tables and if you can't eat, you know, have, we can't have justice, you're not going to have dinner. That's not a cancel culture. If you're going to cancel anything, cancel sin. Cancel unrighteousness. How about abuse and, and a fatherless home and alcoholism? Let's cancel some of these things. Is that right? Amen. Why don't we do that? Because we, we love our sin and we're comfortable in our sin is human nature. And let me tell you something. Any Christian who doesn't identify this lifestyle as an altering lifestyle really has another gospel than what Jesus came to preach. Think about it. So I, I want to encourage everybody, if you consider yourself part of this cancel culture, you need to work on canceling sin. How about cancel some of this human trafficking and some of these other things? I mean, how about all this stuff that we really, really need to cancel in our culture? 
Amen. Come on. Hate and division and all this stuff. It's even in the church. Why? Because men's hearts are twisted and sinful by nature. Wow. Think about it. So righteousness starts in the heart. And it's funny how we want to hold God responsible for all our social issues and all our problems in in our society without His interference and involvement in our lives. How many know that's something's wrong with our heart? Amen. Third thing is that righteousness builds standards. See, righteousness builds standards. If you look at the word righteousness, it actually comes from a word rightness. Rightness. So it means right standing with God, but it also means it's not limited to moral virtue. It, it, it is about love. We love what is true and we love what is just. That's righteousness. How many know the righteous love justice? They don't abuse justice. They don't, they don't come on, but they love justice. The Bible says in Amos chapter 5, verse 24, it says, But let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. You know, God told that to people who were, you know, all about their praise and worship, all about their churchiness. They're all about the sacrifices they were given to God. God said, put that stuff away from you. I want righteousness instead of song. I want right choices, right living instead of sacrifice. Is that right? And he said, I want justice to run down like water. How many know we need justice, amen, to run like water, amen? We need righteousness to be like a mighty stream. Think about it. And so you're not going to really see true justice unless there's true righteousness. The two go together, don't they? Yes, they do. Because And so you should love justice. As the Bible says that you want to love mercy and you love justice... You know, anybody who says, uh, oh my word, I I think that person needs to to go to hell and I think they deserve hell and I deserve heaven. How many know that's not mercy and that's not justice? Amen. Amen. God is a God of justice and mercy. Think about this. Psalms 85 verse 10. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. I was always uncomfortable with that as a young man. Now I understand. That sounds romantic, doesn't it? Because it is. It's a union. It's intimate. It's together. Is that right? That's what it speaks of. So mercy and truth come together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. That that sounds like a weird worship song. But you know what? That's the way it is. It's that kind of closeness. God wants those two to be together. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus told the disciples, Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and scribes, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. How I many know you got to get, you, you, your righteousness needs to be a little bit better than what's in our culture? Amen. I want to just show you something here. The Bible talks about this, and I'm kind of dancing around this word, but called, it talks about building walls of righteousness. How many believe that righteousness builds standards? And that's what the walls spoke of in the Old Testament or in the Bible. talks about walls of righteousness. Now in Isaiah chapter 58 and Isaiah 61, I'm going to read from 61, but in Isaiah 58, it was a, a, a prophetic word about John the Baptist. It talks about there was a voice crying, one crying in the wilderness. How many know that was a, that was a prophecy about John the Baptist? And it talks about what he would do. And one of the things that it says that he would do and the people that would rise up in that day is that they shall be um, of, of the people who build the old waste places. That's what it says. 
Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations. But also in Isaiah 58, it's when he speaks against the Christians and the church, I should say, because they were fasting for the wrong reasons. He said, "You were fat. Think about it. They were fasting so that they can see their enemy or their whoever they were fighting against. You know, each other. The Bible says that they could win the argument. That's why they were fasting. They were fasting so they could have all kinds of materialistic things. But how many know the Bible says they were fasting for the wrong reasons? He said, "You got to get back to the real reason you're fasting. And one of the things you're fasting for is that the old waste places could be built up once again." And you will raise up the foundations of many generations and you, you'll be called the repair of the breach, the restorers of paths, paths to dwell in. How many know when we do it God's way, amen, we'll, we're going to begin to build something. Something is established and so the walls of righteousness. Stay with me. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 3 is talking about the messianic prophecy of Jesus. That Jesus was appointed and anointed by God to do these things. And of course Jesus when he came opened the book and he said in Isaiah 61 he said this is why I'm here right how many believe it's a messianic prophecy about Jesus right Isaiah 61 well what does it say it says here that he would give beauty for ashes the oil of joy for mourning the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that they might be called what the trees of righteousness the planting of the Lord that he might be glorified and then look what it says in verse 4 and they shall build the old waste they shall raise up the former desolations and they shall repair the waste cities and the desolations of many generations. It talks about building again the walls of righteousness. They will build again the walls of righteousness. And so when, when walls need to be built up, how many know there's two reasons that walls need to be built up? Number one, for neglect. They fall down because of neglect. Is that right? Or they fall down because of destruction. Somebody wanted to destroy those walls. So whatever reason, whether it's neglect or destruction, the Bible says that it's God's will for us to build walls of righteousness. Standards. How many know what I'm talking about? Okay, great. Two amens. So when we talk about the walls, building the walls of righteousness, and we go back and we talk about Nehemiah and Ezra when they came back to the city after 70 years in Jerusalem, walls had been broken down. Uh, fences had rotted, rotted off, you know, their hinges, and, and, and the fields had grown up. And so the Bible makes it clear that Nehemiah and Ezra were going to build the walls again. How many believe that it's time to build some walls in, in our nation? Amen. Amen. And so Nehemiah and Ezra, and I believe that this was a picture of prayer and work together. How many know it takes intercession and it takes work? Well, I'm just going to stay in my little corner and pray. I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to know. The Bible says that you need to pray and work. Amen. God needs a ground force. Is that right? That have already prayed. And you can pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. But then God says, you know, we're waiting on God. But then God says, I'm waiting on you. Amen. So there is a balance there uh, between that. And so I believe that in order to build walls of righteousness in our nation, you've got to do something. Well, I do. I argue with people on Facebook all the time. I'm sure there's a medal out there for you. I'm, I'm sure you're going to get a cookie or something. But, but something else, because righteousness is a physical act. How many know if you're righteous, you're going to do righteous things? And the fruit of your life is going to be righteousness. Is that what the Bible says? Yeah. It says, let patience have her perfect work in you. Amen. Why? Because there's a fruit of righteousness that comes forth in your life. It's a physical act. Amen. 
Let me just point something out also in uh, the Old Testament. In the book of Ezekiel, right? In the book of Ezekiel, check this out. The Lord rebukes these Jewish leaders uh, really for abandoning their role as spiritual shepherds over the nation. He rebukes them. And this is what he says in Ezekiel 22, verse 30. I, ser- I search for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me and in the land, for the land, but I found none. Think about it. Wow. So God's looking for people who are going to build and stand. How many know you've got to stand for what's right? Amen. Amen. But you've got to build what's right. Amen. Build it in your kids. Build it in your life. Build, you, we're building walls of righteousness. That's walls and standards, as the Bible makes it clear. Amen. But how many know, what do we say in the very first point? It's not our standards, it's God's standards. It's not our righteousness, our righteousness stinks. Amen? The rules that I would make up stink. They don't work, they're not good, they only work for me. How many know some Christians are all about rules, but only if they work for themselves? But outside of that, they don't work for anybody else, right? But think about this. And so during this time, when Ezekiel wrote this and God spoke, during a time of, it was a time of great moral failure and disbelief. I mean, the hearts of the people had turned from God in unbelief. It was, it was incredible. And God searched for people. God looked for people in the midst of that. He searched for a man who could build a wall of righteousness and a, against that rising tide of evil in his generation. But he, the Bible says he couldn't find anybody. Wow, isn't that amazing? Can you think about it? In a whole nation, you can't find anybody? I mean, the Bible says in, in Genesis about Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, if I, can, if I could find 50 people, I'll save the city. Oh, okay, oh, we're having a hard time. Not even 45. Ooh, okay. If I can get 25, I'll save the city. Ooh, that's rough. If I can get 10! And how many know he only found one? One family. Think about it. But I don't want that to be said of our nation. I want to say, Lord, that there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of people that are seeking you and living, and come on, in righteousness and living right and promoting righteousness. Amen. And so the, this failure caused the downfall of the nation at that time, and really it demonstrated the, an important spiritual principle. Here's the spiritual principle that we see in Ezekiel, is that God not only punishes evil, we know that, but He also punishes for failure to stand up to evil. Think about it. So I, I like this article uh, that I read recently. Uh, and so it's by this Christian author. And he says that Christians are God's wall of righteousness in the modern age. I like that. And as that wall, we are not here to change the world, but rather to do this. Now think about it. this. is what the Bible pre- promotes and teaches. Number one, we are to be a witness against evil in the world. You say, well, Brother Matt, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, I want to, but I'm really scared. No, that's what we're called, that's what building a wall of righteousness is about. We shine the light on what is the good according to God's word. Is that what the Bible says? Well, we're going to read that in a minute in Philippians. And then also, we make every effort to avoid participating in the evils we ourselves witness against. So I think that's really clear, and I think that's good. And so really, this is a spiritual wall. So, I mean... He wouldn't say build a wall of righteousness if he was talking about a, a, a physical wall, right? He's talking about a spiritual wall. But it starts in the heart of man, and it leads to godly actions. That's what he's talking about. And as David said about Goliath, he said, is there not a cause? 
And I believe that in our day, in our generation, Christians don't need to say, well, I'm fighting for this political party. I'm trying to prove my point here. And I'm, no, we need to say, is there not a cause in our nation? Amen. I'm going to know today is a good cause. Today we're praying for a cause, a godly cause. Amen. Amen. Righteousness, again, I remind you, righteousness is a spiritual condition, a moral position, and a physical act according to the Word of God. Fourthly, righteousness protects the next generation. Anybody? Yes, it does. Righteousness protects the next generation. You know what I noticed about Jesus when he was on his way to the cross? One of the things the Bible says he fell and he, he, he fell in the street there and women came over, some women came over and they were trying to take care of him, give him some water, whatever, whatever movie you watch, I guess, right? And what did Jesus say to them? Jesus told the women of that day, he said, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves and your children. The Lord, how many know, the Lord is concerned about the next generation. This is why we're doing what we're doing today, not that we can be comfortable, but that the next generation can experience righteousness. Can, anybody listening today? Amen. So, so many times we get caught up in this, this, really this current, our current political environment, but we don't realize there's a greater cause. There's a greater reason we're doing what we're doing. Amen? There's a greater reason we're praying the prayers we're praying these days, not for ourselves. How many know ourselves? We need to put ourselves on the line. We need to lay our lives down so the next generation can experience God. Amen? It's all about the next generation. And righteousness protects the next generation. Amen? And so as we look at what's going on, there, there's a greater need that, that matters to the next generation. There's a, ne there's a greater cause which is in the next generation. And I believe that part of being a spirit-led generation or a prophetic generation, because that's what I consider ourselves as a prophetic generation, it's not being able to prophesy who will be the next president. Anybody? Every four years somebody prophesies somebody different. But anyways... And also they prophesy about the Antichrist. I don't get that. Anyways, but it's not about that. It's to look ahead and see what's in store for our children and to be able to live according to that. Amen. So many of us are living for the now. We want, our, we want lower taxes now. We want this. We want that. We want health care for us. But how many know it needs to be for the next generation? What's going to happen for them? What is my, what's it going to look like for my children? Listen, I can sacrifice, I can deal with this, but it's my kids that I'm concerned about. Come on, is anybody listening, amen? That's why we want good government. That's not just so the gospel can be preached, but so that our, the next generation can do what they need to do, amen? So they don't suffer, amen? So you'll get it in a second. But anyways, so I also believe that there is a generational blessing. How many believe in generational blessings? Some of you have talked to me and you've talked about generational curses. Well, my dad this and my mom that and I'm just afraid this and I, I think I got that from my dad. But how many know there's generational blessings? That's why you've got to pray for your children. Pray and if you don't have children, pray for this generation. Pray for this generation of young people coming up that they'll meet the Lord, that they'll have an encounter with God, right? Come on. I mean a good encounter. I don't mean a encounter with religion. We need an encounter with God. Amen. And so why? Because there's a generational blessing that we're responsible for. The Bible says that after Joshua had died, there arose a generation that knew not the Lord. 
somebody didn't pass on the information. Somebody wasn't interested in the next generation. Somebody wasn't pouring their life in to the next generation. All they wanted to do is to get in the promised land, but they weren't interested in conquering the giants because the giants were going to attack their children, not them. Amen. And so we can't just be interested in today, in ourselves. We've got to live for the next generation. Amen. And the Bible talks about in Deuteronomy the sins of parents. God judged a whole nation based on the sins of their parents. Isn't that amazing? Wow, that is. And see, that's the thing with ungodly philosophy and worldly philosophy. And when it's humanistic in nature, see, it's not designed to impact today. It's designed to change tomorrow. Did you know that? I mean, no, 1973 wasn't just about 1973. It was affecting 50 years later. Amen. It's impacting a generation. It's impacting other people. And so we've got to take that in consideration. So the last point I want to bring out today about righteousness and how righteousness exalts a nation is that righteousness comes through the gospel. We're, we're good. i got good time here. We're good. You know, Kickoff isn't for a while. Amen. And one of your teams isn't playing today, I'm sure. Amen. Righteousness comes through the gospel. How many believe that? How many believe that righteousness comes through the gospel? Amen. Yes, it does. See, political views and, and social issues, all these things will never supersede the gospel. They'll never be more important than the gospel. Why? Because if we already talked about it, righteousness is from God. It starts in the heart. Come on, it builds standards. How many know people need righteousness? Yes, we do. Absolutely. So how do they get it? They've got to be saved. They've got to meet the Lord. They've got to get righteousness in their heart. And the only way, according to Romans chapter 10 and Matthew 28, that that's going to happen is through the gospel. Oh, well, I believe that angels are going to come down and preach the gospel. I believe that in an instant people are going to get saved. And God's going to wave his wand and then all... I don't know if he has a wand. But he's going to wave his hand and then... He's not a magician. But anyways, he's going to wave his hand and then all of a sudden, my whole city is going to be saved. It's amazing. I can't wait for that day. I'm waiting for that revival. No, it's going to happen when you get off your front porch and you go and preach the gospel. It's going to happen when we take physical actions of righteousness. Amen. Isaiah 45, verse 8. He says, rain down, you heavens, from above, and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open. Let them bring forth salvation in the earth. That's what we're talking about, people in the earth. That's us. And let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. That's pretty good, isn't it? How many know that righteousness comes through the gospel? And ultimately, the gospel treats the cause, not the symptoms. So that's why. Because if righteousness has to start in men's hearts, and God deals with people's hearts, when people get saved, their heart changes. So the gospel is all about changing people's hearts, not just changing people's minds. Amen. And see, the issue is men's hearts, and the solution is the gospel. And i, I got to ask you this question. At what point do we connect those dots? Do we stop listening, watching the news and saying, oh my gosh, uh, we, we, this, what's, this is terrible. What, this is awful. We need, a, we need a revival. When are we going to connect the dots that the solution is the gospel? Hello. I'm preaching to the church today. I mean, the solution is the gospel. Amen. That's what it's about. And I, I've said this. I've worn this out. 
And, and I've got to be honest with you, I waited a couple months to say this to you today, but I've got to be honest with you, this is, this is so impactful. Someone told me this recently, and it's really, really impacted me. And that is this, we've perfected the religion of church, but not the mission of Jesus. And when we stop perfecting the religion of church, and we work towards perfecting the mission of Jesus, men's hearts can change. Our nation can change. Our neighborhoods will change. Anybody listening? Our families will change. Our communities will change. Crime will go down. Teenage pregnancy rates go down. Come on, adultery goes down when people get saved. Stop trying to elect somebody to do that. It's righteousness in the men's hearts that's going to do it. And it comes through preaching the gospel. It comes through the gospel. We say, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not an evangelist. No, you're right. You're a Christian, and you're responsible for righteousness in the earth. Wow. Isn't, isn't that impactful? And I, I think that we need to be passionate about where we're going, not where we were as a church, as a whole. Come on. Because where we were has run its course, but all that we have left is where we're going. Thank God for the past revivals, but we ain't there no more, and neither is our culture. But how many know our culture still needs Jesus? It's the same gospel. It's the same spirit. It's the same, come on, God just says, get on, amen, the right bus this time. And stop getting on the old, you know, covered wagon. Get on the new transit of, of the gospel. Amen. And so I believe this. And I believe that uh, the church is not a school to develop super, super uh, you know, smart, superior Christians. That's not what we exist for. We're not a warehouse for, for facilitating experiences. Amen. Worship experience, prayer experience, holy, you know, come on, that's not us. The church isn't just a warehouse to facilitate all these experiences in the Lord. We're not a museum of ancient artifacts of what God did back in the day. Is that right? Amen. So our church is a tool to facilitate the gospel. To facilitate the mission of Jesus. That's why we exist. That's what this church is all about. It's not about that you got saved way back when and now you can just maintain your religion every Sunday. No, it's about, amen, reaching our city for Jesus. Amen. Amen. With the gospel, that's what it's about. Our church is a tool to facilitate the mission. And I believe that, as I told somebody recently, that the church needs to get off the front porch and get in the street. Because how many know from the front porch you can yell a whole lot? How many have ever had those neighbors? They just yell from the front porch. Everything's from the front porch. They scream at everybody. They direct traffic. They tell you what to do, right, on the front porch. Well, that's the church. We just see everything from the front porch. We just kind of, come on, we view everything from the front porch. We're yelling at society from the front porch. Get down in the street and do something about it. Amen. Preach the gospel because the gospel changes people's hearts. If you don't like people, witness to them. I don't like that guy. I hate him. Witness to him. He's disgusting. Witness to him. Right? Come on. I hate his political views. Witness to him. Maybe you'll learn something too. Amen. And I believe that this is what God's saying. And let me just, I'm winding down with this scripture. Philippians chapter 2 verse 15. I, I like this. I love this scripture. I preach so many different angles from the scripture. Philippians chapter 2 verse 15. Paul exhorts and says that you might be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the middle 
of a crooked and perverse nation. Nation. Among whom you what? Shine as lights in the world. I didn't add the last part there. But in the, uh, who you shine as lights in the world. So as a Christian, he's speaking to the Christian. He says that you need to be blameless and innocent. We don't like that word. We don't like faultless. Faultless and pure. Pure and spotless. Blameless and seer, wholesome. Innocent and uncontaminated. That's what you should be as a Christian. Why? Because you live right in the middle of a crooked and perverse nation. Stop living on the outside of this nation, this culture. You're right in the middle of it. In fact, Jesus gave us a wonderful promise as the disciples. He said, I'm sending you as sheep in the middle of wolves. Hungry wolves. Nasty wolves. Oh, it's like, okay, gee, thanks, Jesus. Appreciate it. Right? Seriously. No, you're in the middle. You're right in the middle of a crooked and perverse nation. And guess what you do? You shine as lights in the world. Your light is brighter than the darkness. Your light is more powerful than the darkness. Amen. We shine as lights in the world. Blameless does not mean silent. Blameless does not mean weak. It means that people won't look at your life and say you're a hypocrite. How I many know we're tired of that? Amen. I've, I've, come on, we've known some hypocrites in our day. Haven't we? Amen. Yes, we have. And so... This is what it says about the world, though. This is what it says about the world and crooked and perverse nation. The world is brutal and perverse culture. Crooked and twisted generation. Perverted and crooked. Twisted and depraved. Sin-loving and sin-sick world. Warped and diseased world. Morally crooked and spiritually perverted generation. Isn't that crazy? And here's the word that he keeps using over and over again, and he emphasizes the word crooked. Crooked. But you know, I got news for you. What does the prophet say that Jesus would do in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3? He said that every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill be made low, and the crooked made straight, and the rough places plain. How many know Jesus is going to make the crooked places straight? He takes the crooked thinking and the crooked lives and makes them straight. Anybody listening? Is that your testimony? Is that your testimony? How many know we live in a crooked and perverse nation, but the gospel makes the crooked straight? Amen? Come on. We live in some, uh, a nation that's just lifted high. Uh, just, I mean, they're prideful in the, and high in their pride. But how many know the Bible says every mountain shall be made low, every valley shall be raised up, and the crooked will be made straight. The gospel makes crooked straight. Aren't you glad for that? Amen. Hallelujah. And so let me just say this, that as Christians and those who are walking in righteousness with the Lord, we represent the saving of life. Do you know that? That's what we represent. Yes, you know that. We represent the saving of life. That's why we should be concerned about the loss of life. Because we're all about the saving of life. Come on, that's what we should be. We should be about, what did Jesus say? I came to what? Seek and save the lost. Lost souls. Lost lives. Lives that are lost. The loss of life is what we, come on, what we're concerned about because we're all about saving of life. Anybody listening? We're all about saving life. That's what it's about. We want to save lives. 
Paul said, my desire is that all of Jerusalem would be saved. How many know the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but what all should come to repentance. That's what it's about. That's what we should be about. We shouldn't be about, man, I want to see that guy die. I want to see, uh, we need to have, you know, missiles come to America. We need judgment. No, we need to be about the saving of life. Amen? That's what we need to be about. And so that's what our theme should be about. The last scripture I want to share with you in Mark chapter 8, verse 38. Jesus said, whoever shall be ashamed of me and my words in this, what? Adulterous and sinful generation. Also of him, I'm going to be ashamed of when he comes and stands before my father. In the glory of his father, the Bible says, and his holy angels. Whoever will be ashamed of me and my words, where? Right in the middle of this adulterous and sinful generation. Sinful and generation, these are the days of unbelief and sin. And what that means is, what does adulterous mean? It means unfaithful. Unfaithful. Cheating. That's what it means. Right in the middle of an unfaithful generation. Now he was speaking this to the Jewish people. And the, uh, you know, the prophets warned that said that my people are like an unfaithful bride. But how many know the Bible says he's married to his bride? Amen. He's married to his people. Amen. And so guess what he does? He says, you can come back. I forgive. Let's restore this thing. Let's get this thing right. Amen. And so the Bible says that if we're going to be ashamed of the Lord and his words in this adulterous and sinful generation, he'll be ashamed of us. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be ashamed of righteousness. I'm not trying to push my agenda, my political views down people's throats. I want to see the gospel reach their heart. That should, be your, that should be our motive on social media. It's not about winning an argument. It's not being right. It's about promoting righteousness. Is anybody listening? Yes, 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 right? That's what we should be about. Why? Because righteousness exalts a nation. Can you stand on your feet today? Amen. Let's pray. You know, a scripture that I was thinking about all week, thinking about this. Have you ever read that scripture where Jesus said, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be the coming of the Son of Man? How many have ever read that? Jesus said, when I come back, when I return, first of all, how many believe Jesus is coming back? Amen. Yes, he is. Just like he said he would, just like he did. The Bible says, just like he left, he's coming back. One of the promises we have. Now, you might have it figured out when and where and the date and the code and the Da Vinci. The, all, I don't know. All right, I don't know. But I do know this. He's coming back. He said, when I come back, it's going to be the same cultural conditions as in the days of Noah. And what happened in the days of Noah? The Bible says that people were marrying and giving marriage. They were living their life. They were going. It's like he said, I'm going to come back on the day you least expect me to. You're going to think it's just normal living, but I'm going to come back on that day. Wow, isn't that amazing? So what happened in that day? The Bible says that not only were people just living their life, but also the Bible says there were great sin. How many of you know that's why the flood came? Because of the great sin. Is that right? Great sin came up. The Bible says their sin came up before God. Great sin. And you see, the, oh, that's what it's about, Brother Matt. It's about judgment. It's all about, yeah, okay. It's about grace and truth. Come on, it's about mercy and judgment. Is that right? Come on. But that's not what I point today. The point I want to bring out is what was going on in the days of Noah. We know that people were just living their life, and then we know there was great sin. But what was happening in the days of Noah? 
Can I tell you something? In the days of Noah, somebody was building an ark. Somebody was obeying God. Somebody was making a provision for people. Somebody was building a place that people could be safe from the storm that's coming. Is that right? And so we're called to build walls of righteousness. We're called to live it in our hearts and not, and not just in our heads and our, and, our, and our Sunday morning profession. We're to live as people that have been forgiven. Come on. And we see the, the value of life. We see the value of other people. And as we're busy working for God, doing what He wants us to do, obeying His Word, we're also busy as Noah preaching righteousness. How many of the Bible says he was a preacher of righteousness? How many of you have ever read that in Hebrews? Yes, he was. He was a preacher of righteousness. He wasn't just ignoring the world with his sons and building an ark. Forget about those people. Let's build an ark for ourselves. No, the Bible says that he was busy preaching to the lost souls. And that's what we should be doing. In the days of Noah, somebody was obedient. Somebody was obeying God. Somebody was building an ark. And I don't know about you today, but I want to be obedient to the call of God on our lives. I want to be that righteous remnant in the earth. It's not about being right. It's about getting it right. Practicing righteousness. Promoting righteousness. Whether people like it or not. As we talked about two weeks ago, you're going to suffer for what? Righteousness' sake. Because you've been born of God. Because you have the blood of Jesus. Because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Whatever reason. But guess what? We're not, that's not going to stop us. That's not going to hinder us. We're going to continue to promote righteousness. We're going to continue to speak righteousness. We're going to continue to live righteousness. Why? Because we want to see a nation that's righteous. Righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. Father, we just thank you today for your word. Thank you for your righteousness, Lord. We are so imperfect, so undone. Without you, Lord, we can do absolutely nothing. You have placed value on our lives, and now it's because of Jesus that we stand righteous before God. Lord, I pray that you would teach us to walk in righteousness, to live righteously. Lord, to do what you want us to do in the right spirit, and in the right tone, in the right character in this world that's so wrong. We pray that we would shine as lights today, right in the middle of crookedness and perversion and adultery. We would shine bright, brighter than the sin that's in the world. I thank you that, Lord, your power, your grace, your light is brighter, stronger, better than what is in the world today. Help us care for others, to look to others, to look around and see the needs, Lord, that they would know Jesus Christ and his righteousness in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen.